similar to when Uber and Lyft first came out, they had to teach people that summoning a stranger from the internet and getting into their car was a normal, safe experience. So I think, you know, everyone has at least that foundation of being able to call a car and know that you are safe getting around. And I think in you know, the majority of the cases that is true, I feel like we just have to teach people the same thing that self-driving cars are here, they are real. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hello, everyone. So happy to have our next guest, Alex McNara. Alex is the head of growth marketing at Cruise, leading the charge for Cruise's first customers. Alex also has his own podcast that I highly recommend you check out called 30 Minute CMO. Prior to Cruise, Alex was the director of growth at iProspect, where he was responsible for the overall direction of pitch strategy, media, planning, and activation. He recently moved to Portland, Oregon with his wife during the pandemic and spent the last year renovating his house and learned a lot about what goes into building. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. So super exciting. Actually, let's start with, for those who don't know Cruise, can you tell us a bit about Cruise? What does the company do? What are some challenges that you're seeing today? Let's start with that. Yeah, no, thanks for having me here. I'm really thrilled to be chatting with you. This has been, uh, I've subscribed to the podcast. I've been listening to it. It's been really fun. Cruise is a uh, self-driving car service that we're building. Well, it's a self-driving car one of the things we're building out of is a self-driving car service and another one is a self-driving delivery service i've been mainly focusing on the self-driving ride you know like an uber style ride service which has been very interesting very challenging and it's all based in san francisco at the moment some of the challenges and the advantages that we have we are fully driverless so the car drives itself through a lot of really incredible hardware, which means that there's no distractions and there's no tiredness. So in the middle of the night when the car is driving around, it hasn't done a 10-hour shift and it's still going. The great thing is because it drives itself, you're the only one in the car. So you can have all, you know, you can have your own personal space when you're moving around the city. It's like a little mini relaxation time where it's just you in the car. And it's also 100% electric wow so the fleet is uh, all electric cars from the chevy bolt so our cars are driving around fully electric and it's yeah it's been great i think they've been we've been driving in san francisco for about six years now so really like going into the one of the most difficult cities to drive in to learn how to to drive in san francisco how many cars do you guys have right now that people can choose so right now we have i don't have the exact number but it's you know tens of cars driving around now and they're split into different types of looking at R&D, looking at, you know, practicing new releases, some out for uh, crews to test out. And then I think you may have seen in the press recently, we've started onboarding first public riders as well. So they are being shuttled around San Francisco for free at the moment. But yeah, we have a, a whole fleet that's doing all sorts of different things within San Francisco 24 hours a day. And are you available for customers if, you know, someone's listening to this podcast and I want to try it out? Is that possible today? 
Not yet. We have a wait list, which we launched. It's got about 16,000 people on it right now. Wow. Uh, and you can go to getcruise.com to sign up to be one of the first to experience it. Yeah, we've had to put a wait list on because the demand is pretty high. And we just need to make sure that we don't flood the availability with everyone. So that is one of the, I guess that's one of the challenges right now is as we grow and as we scale is to make sure that we can give everyone a really good experience. And that means that we have to make sure that the fleet size and the demand side are, you know, are good. So similar to when you have surge pricing with Lyft or Uber, that means that there's not enough drivers around to get more drivers on the road. And that's what we're trying to, to avoid. That's awesome. So, you know, you are the director of growth, but you guys are not, you know, taking customers yet. So I'd love to hear how you think about the growth. And obviously you're probably, you're, as you're setting the foundation for what would be the growth team. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think one of the, it's very rare that you get to join a company where you can, where you get to build everything from scratch. There's always been someone there before who has built something and you come in and you have to look at what they've put in place. Is it fit for purpose now? How do you, you know, keep it and keep going or change it to do what you need it to do? So yeah, where we are right now is um, really looking at building the foundation of everything. So coming in and building up the ad tech and martech stack to make sure that what we implement now, even though we are you know, slowly recruiting you know, riders, is not just for 2022, it's for 2025, it's for 2028, so that we're really setting ourselves up for, for success down the line. So yeah, we're really looking at sort of, you know, deep linking and attribution. We're looking at marketing automation. We're looking at CDP. We've got, you know, how does the customer success team work? What platforms do they work on? And all of that. So we're really just like pulling everything together now to focus on being successful later. That's very cool. That's like rarely the case, right? Like usually yeah, hire marketing way too late. So I think this is <laughs> a case where, you know, you guys are going early and that's so cool to see. Yeah. Any fun experiments or anything that you are willing to share on things that you're trying out right now? Yeah, I think we're trying to be with experimentation, with testing, with optimizations, we're trying to be very, not direct, direct is not the right word, but very thoughtful about it. We're trying to think about why are we doing something? What are the results we want to get from it? And what do we want to learn from it so we can continue to apply rather than just testing for testing sake? I think it's very easy to get into this collect all of the data all of the time across everything and then try and figure out what to do with it. So I think you know, if we can collect less, but have that be much more thoughtful and direct with what we want to achieve, you know, we're not being distracted by, oh, this data over here is saying something, but you know, it may, may or may not be useful for us, but collecting it just distracts us. So I think our, our ethos and the team is to figure out what do we want to achieve and what do we need to know in order to make it better and then test in that way. I think, you know, without a lot of the tools in place, we're doing, you know, as we're building it out, because we need to bring on the CDP so that we can then bring on all the other pieces so that we can actually see everything coming together across the riders, you know, life cycle. Yeah, we're just doing, you know, setting things up for, you know, if you have, as you're trying to grow a rider base. So thinking about like, how can we keep people in? How can we, you know, what do we need to be able to test with that? What do we have to be look at from an attribution standpoint? And then how can we get that data from our, our data lake with, which has everything in it without say a branch for attribution or being able to use a braze or an Istribor for marketing automation and, and being able to be in platform 
and getting all of those signals, you know, real time. It's really cool. One thing that's really interesting, you know, we sometimes talk about mobile activation. And I think what's really interesting here is, you know, you obviously have a lot of demand, but there's a lot of pressure. Those first experiences and those first activated users, you know, can make or break your company. How do you think about, you know, that activation and and mitigating that risk of people, you know, this is going to be a very different Maybe unsettling experience for some because they're always used to having a driver. So this is just like incredibly interesting. Yeah, I think I think this is one of the really interesting things is being in a company that is one of the first to market, not only first to market, but one of the a first to market in a new market because you're really trying to teach people a new habit or teach people a new way of mobility. I think similar to when Uber and Lyft first came out, they had to teach people that summoning a stranger from the internet and getting into their car was a normal, safe experience. So I think everyone has at least that foundation of being able to call a car and know that you are safe getting around. And I think in the majority of the cases, that is true. I feel like we just have to teach people the same thing, that self-driving cars are here, they are real. And I think... What we've been doing is just encouraging people to share on social channels and we've been able to see everything and people love it. People, the most common reaction is people watching the steering wheel as it spins and turns around a corner and just going, oh my God, oh my God. And then just like giggling to themselves as they experience this like futuristic tech that we thought was, you know, never going to happen actually happened it's actually driving around so yeah it's been great and i think the good thing is most people have an unbelievable first time that they want to come back and try it again so that's been really great but yeah the risk there is risk i think with everything you can get paralyzed by risk and if you don't take any risks you'll never get anything done so i think it's just like what level of risk you're willing to take with us it's always you know safety first and everything has to be safe before you can get to the next level of what risk you're willing to take. So that I think that I think for us, that comes from the top, very much from the CEO all the way through the company is like, you know, be safe, make sure everything is safe. This is not a game. That's awesome to hear. I'm definitely sold. I'm going to join the wait list. <laughs> Maybe you can put in a good word for me to make it higher up or I'll wait my turn. I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to wait my turn. It's so exciting. We've talked a little bit about Cruise, but I'd love to hear also about your journey and your growth. Yeah. How did you get to where you are today? How did you decide that, you know, you're going to be in growth and marketing? Yeah, this is a pretty interesting one. I think I have a very unique career. I started in Dentsu. I started in Isobar as my one of my first roles. And when it became it was Glue Isobar, so it was a digital creative agency. So we we're working on website builds, digital creative, so social content before social was a before I think you could do social paid ads. So we're doing organic social content, building websites, banner ads. So more on the creative side and account management. And then I moved to McGarry Bowen, where it was more about brand storytelling, being able to you know make more traditional ads, so TV ads, bigger budget productions, print billboards. So trying to take my digital knowledge, augment it with more of a brand storytelling. So 
how to, you know, being able to build a website, banners and know what goes into that, then augmenting with TV ads and big production. And then how do you take your big campaign, your big overarching storytelling message and applying that through you know, all of the different channels that someone would experience. And then I moved to San Francisco, still with McGarry Bowen, and then thought, I want to make this more rounded, not just from a creative side. So I joined uh, Fetch, which was a mobile performance agency. So thinking about media through a creative lens and then learning all of the aspects of media planning and media buying, and then being able to put those two things together. So thinking about media through creative and then creative through media, I think is a very unique thing. It's not a lot of, it's not often that you have creative side folks join a media agency and vice versa. So I think for me, that was a really important thing to really round out a, a more holistic view of advertising. And then we became part of, so I was a lot of mobile focus. So I went to the branch conference in December, 2018, which was fantastic. One of the best conferences I've been to was so oh, well wow. run. I really hope you get to Thank do another you. one soon. I did see you talk. It was very good. And then we became iProspect. So I went from mobile performance specifically to more of a digital performance agency. So rather than looking at app installs and cost per acquisition and and that it was more about how do you use the full digital spectrum to drive e-commerce. So that's when I was more in a new business uh, role. So really thinking about you know working on multiple different types of pitches for different types of clients and seeing all of the different challenges and how different they are, but also how similar they are. And then seeing how you can leverage different the same platforms for different things that you need to achieve. So like using Facebook, Instagram, Snap, TikTok for awareness, mid-funnel and acquisition. And whilst the platform may not change, the creative changes uh, in what it needs to say and the targeting changes in what it needs to do and who it needs to talk to. So being able to take that and combine it with my creative understanding was you know, a very powerful thing to then take to a brand like Cruise, where we're thinking about how do you build a brand how do you then get people to be comfortable with the technology? So a lot of that mid-funnel thinking. And then how do you get people to ride? So that's where I wanted to go. And you know, what I was looking for was something where I could handle more than just the advertising bit, more than just the, the things that we're making, the ads we're making, and the placements we're putting them in, and cover more of the advertising or marketing pie. So like street teams and comms and working with our comms teams and working with our business unit teams and being able to work with more upstream and how we go to market rather than just receiving a brief and, and executing on that. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now. I think one of the great things was we pitched for Cruise in 2019 and I was the media director for Cruise. So I have a lot of Cruise knowledge from that. And then um, being able to go and be you know, work at the brand now and take that historical knowledge and augment it with what I'm learning at the company now and all of my previous uh, history and just like working on building out crews to be future-proof. That's really interesting to hear. What made you decide to like leave an agency and just actually work a brand and why particularly, why did you choose Cruise? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't looking to leave at the time. I just thought when the Cruise opportunity came up, it was, like I said before, it's not enough for me to get to be at a company that's at the fourth a new industry and you get to be there building it, helping build it from a blank slate. So it was just an opportunity that you can't say no to. And you know, you tell your grandkids in 50 years' time, you know, where were you when the first driving cars were being rolled out? 
you were like, I was, I was there, I was doing it. So that was a, a pretty, a pretty awesome thing to be able to do. That's great. And one of the things we always talk about on this, I, I think we learn a lot from stories, both stories that worked really well and stories that failed. So maybe what's one campaign or feature, or if you want to talk about multiple that you're really proud of and you think it worked really well and why do you think that happened that way? Yeah, I think one of them was one we did for Intel. We shot a, they were sponsoring the Super Bowl and they got the package relatively lame not the game in the proverbial game and they were most production timelines take let's say around six months from concepts or brief to final production they managed to get a, a sponsorship really late i think we had a you know a couple months to be able to come up with an idea shoot it and be able to get it on air in time and it was a lot of late nights from the creative team coming up with an idea that eventually was getting Tom Brady on board, shooting in Boston in the winter. And I think it was, you know, January sometime and turning that production around with, you know, CGI sound, color and all of that was incredible. And just, it was so much work for it to happen. And then when it went live, it just worked really well because the idea from our creative team was solid and it really did a great job. And it was essentially... 360 replays so the intel tech was being put into stadiums to be able to get this i think there's 21 ultra uh, 8k cameras that allow you to see a replay 360 when normal cameras will only show you the footage that they captured this augmented the footage with cgi in almost real time so they were doing something like a terabyte a second of data processing and wow it allows you to go in a 360-degree view of, you know, let's say there's a foul or play where you can't really see an angle. This gave you that view. So we used Tom Brady, and it's like they did a 360 of him, and it's like you can a, a seg freeze frame of him, and he looks different in one frame. And we have to go like, well, let's see that again, and it comes back, and you see it. It was just a really fun ad. I think, yeah, it was just the time pressure that we had and being able to put it on such a big stage was, for me, what made it great. That's awesome. And then something that didn't go too well, we were working with a brand, a wine brand in London, and they had a yearly festival, and we were redeveloping their website. And part of it was to create a map of all of the stores. And I think there were like 50 stores from Spain, and they're all the different things. There was some like food stalls. There was food stalls from Spain, from London, wine stalls, goods, leather goods, other stuff you could buy. And we thought, it would, wouldn't it be so interesting if you could plan your trip to this little festival in London and map out where you wanted to go, learn about each of the stalls, who the owners were, what they did. So we built this map out, an interactive map that worked on mobile. And it was great. And then, you know, it was. It took us a lot of effort, a lot of time to do this. We were up against the clock again, and then what we found was it didn't. People didn't really use it because the cell service at the location was really bad, and because it was an interactive map, it needed a lot of bandwidth. Oh wow! And essentially, it didn't work that well. And then what we realized, all people really wanted was just a map, a PDF map that they could save into their photos to figure out where they, where they, what the stores were and where they were. So I think this is very much a case of you know, what is the final user experience 
and what do they care about in the moment? And what we thought they cared about and what we thought would be really cool for them or really interesting was not what they actually wanted. So that is a, a case of build what they need, and but not what you think they want. Wow. That's like really interesting. Yeah. I think we've all fallen to that pitfall at least once or twice in our lives. Yeah. I think you definitely need to like, all right, this this sounds really cool. How do we step back and like validate it to make sure that it, what we're trying to do and we're putting the effort into something that people are actually going to want? And I think everyone does this. I think it's, and it's not just, you know, a perceived lack of planning. It hasn't been done before and we think people will want it. And then, you know, they'll vote with their money or with their time. And if they do like it, they'll come back. And if they don't, they don't use it. And you just got to, you know, take the hits, you know, phase it out, replace it with something else that they do want. I think, you know, there's the, all, there's all the classic stories of a one feature that can define a brand. You know, the Instagram story is they were like a four square and they realized everyone just wanted to use the filters. So they just made it into Instagram. And I was like, you know, one of those like classic stories that you hear. That's cool. The other thing I think it's really cool about you is that you have this podcast that I mentioned in the intro. Yeah. Tell us a bit how you got started, why you got started, what's the premise of the podcast? Yeah. So this is this was one we did with my friend Gorsha. He at the time he was a CMO somewhere. And this was the beginning of the pandemic. He was like, I have all this extra time now, I'm not commuting and I'm not talking to anyone because I'm stuck at home. How do I you know use my time to do something useful for people? So he started it with the intention of interviewing interesting people about marketing and marketing adjacent topics. I joined and we essentially talk to people and between us about advertising topics that we think people will need and want to know if they are in advertising or they work with people who are in advertising and marketing. And we're trying to talk to people who you generally wouldn't get access to. So we had a Colin Lamforce come on, who is the CTO of a cannabis brand in Oregon, hugely successful in how they do advertising because it's so highly regulated. We had Jeremy Kornfeld on, who's the CEO of Brain Labs now and talk about leadership within an agency and how he manages that. And then between us, we talk about ads that we've seen that work really well. We're doing an international series with with some people from Australia, from uh, London, about the differences in advertising between us in the US and in, you know, the, in the UK and Australia and getting a reverse perspective of like, what do you think about the ads over here versus the ads over there? And just like, for me, my main goal is to like share knowledge that I think would be really useful for my role that someone else could listen to and be like, oh, that's a great point. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Or like, that's a really cool tool that you use that I, you know, I haven't used before. So yeah, Dom Garaventa came on from EA and gave us a lot of insight into how he's thinking about privacy and you know, the rollout of iOS 15, which you know has changed everyone's lives who works in growth and, and mobile. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what we have. And we're gonna have you on as well, which can't is gonna wait. be super can't wait. interesting. I can't wait for that. B two B growth. Yeah, <laughs> slightly different, but yeah, still interesting. Very cool. What's one thing that maybe we can, you know, you'd like the audience to know about you that they can find by Googling? I think a lot of the stuff we talked about, people can probably find if they Google your name. What's one yeah. thing that makes you you? I really love, you can't Google this, but if you are on my Instagram, you can see that I really love food and wine. 
So I love to cook. I am collecting cookbooks like There's No Tomorrow. And during the pandemic, we had all this extra time. So I did more cooking. But I've been learning to cook since I was about 16. And I really enjoy it. It's like my meditation time. At the end of the day, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I can't be bothered to cook. It takes so long. It's such a hassle. And I really enjoy it. The you know, Having to concentrate on the recipe that you're making or you know, the chopping, the frying, the stirring, being able to like, you know, you have to listen, you have to see, you have to taste. It requires a lot of your senses to fo- be focused and you don't have a lot of time to think about other things. So it's very meditative for me. And also it's very delicious. So I really enjoy eating. And then same with wine. I really enjoy wine. I really would love to learn more about wine. So I'm trying to Right before the pandemic hit, I was going to do my WSET exams, which was the wine spirits training. So I'd like to be able to learn more in a more of a formal educational setting to augment my sort of hazard wine tasting and self-teaching of wine tasting. Favorite cookbook? One that I've really enjoyed recently is, well, there's two, I think. One is the New York Times cookbook, And it has a thousand pages of recipes. So I think if wow. you need a cookbook that has multiple types of recipes, then that's one for you. One that I've been using a lot recently, there's an Indian restaurant in London called Dashoom, and they just brought out a cookbook and it is excellent. The Makani chicken with a ruby curry is wonderful. It takes hours to make, but it is 100% worth it. And there's another one that I had One of the first cookbooks that I ever bought was the Anthony Bourdain uh, cookbook when he was at Les Al, the New York restaurant. And that is great. I still go back to it for the herb-crusted rack of lamb and the beef bourguignon. So two amazing recipes there from Mr. Bourdain. Wow, nice. One last question before we move into our fire round. Yeah. I think, you know, you talk a lot about your expansion in your career and, and some of the great things you've done. How do you think about, you know, when you think about your own personal growth, what are some things that you do to continue involving and growing? Obviously, we learned that in cooking, you buy a lot of books. On your on the business side, how do you grow? Are there any mentors that you think are important? Or are there, you know, resources and things that you would advise for others who are looking to have a career in, in marketing or growth? Yeah, so that's a really great question. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot throughout my career is and how to be better, how to get better. And I think one of the things that I learned, and I wish I'd learned it earlier, but I'm glad I learned it when I did, was feedback is a very powerful and useful tool. And you should always be seeking out feedback. If someone's giving you feedback, it's not because they're trying to make you feel stupid. It's trying to, they're trying to make you better. And, you know, it comes with a caveat where you need to make sure it's feedback from someone you trust to give you good feedback. And not all feedback is the same, or at least should be weighted the same. You know, someone could be out there just to give you bad feedback to make you feel crap. So you got to be very careful of who you receive feedback from and how much you value that feedback and how much you think it's going to be useful. But I think that for me is one of the most important things for anyone starting out in the industry is learning from people who have done it and learn from their success and their mistakes. One thing about mistakes that I was told very early, and that you have to have a really good boss to be able to do this, is make a thousand mistakes, just make them once. So, you know, learn from your mistakes. If you did something wrong, own it, admit to it, 
and say like, yeah, I didn't, that was, I did that. I didn't know, or I did it wrong. I intentionally did it this way and it was wrong. And then don't do it again. It's very easy to feel like making mistakes is a bad thing. And I feel like when you're in your earlier career, mistakes seem much bigger than they are because you've made fewer of them. And then once you get later in your career, you've made so many mistakes that you can see which ones are you know, high impact and low impact. And I think owning your mistakes is a really powerful way to grow because you can identify where you can be better and why you made those decisions. And if you can, if you see, if you own them and you know what you did, you can change it. If you refuse to take accountability for mistakes or you feel like making mistakes is a weakness, you never get to grow and you never get to learn because it's always someone else's fault and someone else's problem. So like someone did this, therefore I couldn't do it. So it's not my fault that this happened is a very good way to feel better in the moment, but not a great way to become better. To what there's a book that I read called Legacy. It's about the New Zealand All Blacks. Like this, it's an amazing book. You don't need to know about rugby to be able to learn from it. And I think it's one of the books that you read and then you can reread every year as a refresher. But the two things that that came to me was no one is too important to sweep the sheds. And that story comes from the most senior players in the New Zealand rugby team after a game will sweep the sheds. They'll do the cleanup. They'll make sure that everything is right. No one is too important to get down and dirty and do the things that you know are deemed you know, sweeping the sheds. You know, if you need I to get it. pull a report, if you need to pull your waitlist numbers. If you need to write a document or do something that you think is beneath you, you know, no one's too important to do that. I think it shows humility and a lack of ego. And it makes everyone want to rally around that leader who's who's doing it. And then the other one is pass the ball, which I think is really important. And it's a difficult thing for newer leaders to to embrace because they feel like they need to be in control of everything. But you hire <laughs> yeah. really smart people to do the work. And you know what you need to be doing is setting the goal and the target and the parameters for you know what success means, and then letting them figure out how to get there. So that they have ownership of the task, they have ownership of how they get there, they can have that sense of achievement when it goes right, and they can have the sense of ownership if it doesn't go right. And then you just got to trust them and make sure that you're communicating and talking regularly so that you can make micro adjustments to make sure that they end up hitting the goal and everyone is successful in that way. So it's not about you know giving them bits of information, tasks to do that ladder up to a bigger task. Because that is a very demotivating way to get things done because it's, all right, now go do this calendar and now go execute this and now go execute that. And like, well, why am I just doing your work for you? But if you say, here is the goal, here are the things that we have to do, here are the things we cannot do, you figure out how we get there. And then let's talk about it. Let's get a plan. Let's talk about it. Start executing the plan. When you get pro- when you get stuck, let's talk about it. When it's successful, let's talk about it. And then let's have a, a check-in every day, or every other day, every week however long for the it takes to get there. So I think that for me was a really important lesson to learn and to also activate on. I love that. I think that's a really good one. I would maybe add that also context is important to give people. I think sometimes yes. 
the biggest mistakes I've made is, you know, you hire people, you let them run and then they don't necessarily do the right thing. But in many cases, it's not because it's because they didn't have the context on the information. Mm -hmm. So I'm really focusing a lot more on communication these days. (laughs) Yeah, I think the context is so important. It's if they don't know why, then they don't, they won't be able to make the decisions, the right decisions to get there. Because if, you know, there are a thousand ways to I think this is, you know, you can even take this up to like overall campaign strategy. If there's no outline of why something is going to be successful, why we need to do it, they can't make those micro adjustments and decisions in to get to the right place. Because if every idea is a good idea and you can't really establish which one is the right idea without knowing where you need to go and the reasoning or the rationale behind it. I love it. I love it. This was awesome. Love getting to know you better. We usually end with a lightning round that kind of gives people a very different perspective into who you are as a person. So are you ready? Ready. Okay. If you had to delete all the apps and you could only keep one app on your phone, what would it be? I mean, my cruise app, of course. That is my cruise hat response. I think I don't want it to be Instagram, but I feel like it is Instagram because I think there's a lot of amazing photographers, artists, content creators on there and food there's a lot of recipes and restaurants are on there so i feel like it's a really great discovery for a lot of wonderful things it's also a terrible place to waste your time so having to straddle that carefully but i think it's a really great way to discover new music musicians new like painters drawers artists content creators i find a lot of really funny comedians through there so it's a really great space for, for that kind of thing I love it. I think you're the first person who has said Instagram actually in like the 60 episodes I've done. So, But I had to caveat it in to make me sound yeah. more interested in just like Instagram doom scrolling. No, I think it's a really good answer. <laughs> no, you'd be surprised. I think some of the answers. Okay. If you had an app to talk to one type of animal, what would it be? This is an interesting. I've never had this kind of question before. This is really interesting. I think it would be probably an eagle or a raptor type bird. I think that they would have a lot of really interesting stories and they could tell you a lot about what it's like to fly around in places that we couldn't reach. So I think that would be really interesting. Very cool. This is also a very original answer. No one has ever answered that before. I think the most popular answer has been obviously dogs, but we've had some other... That would be a great answer. Tigers. and Yeah. But the eagle is very cool. Dogs would be great. I would love to know what dogs would be thinking about. That'd be really fun. That would be interesting. That would probably be my answer if I'm I'm not very original on that one. Okay, so what's the most unlikely app on your phone? I try and be very intentional with my apps so I don't have a bunch of clutter. And if I don't use it, I delete it. One app that I've got on my phone that I think is unlikely because it serves almost zero purpose is the Clear apps. You know, Clear in the airports to get you through security. Yeah, yeah, of course. They ran this campaign for everyone who is a a clear member subscriber user and they said download this app it's really it's going to be great it's really useful for you only we know how long it takes to go through security because we are there and we have the information of our times through someone you know scanning and getting through and we're also in airports and we know how long the walk times are between clear and the gates so they're like well if you we can also use google maps to estimate where you are and the drive time to the airport. So we can give you a full, you know, from leaving your house to getting to the gate as time estimate. And I was like, 
you know what? That's pretty great. That's a super useful thing to know. But what I don't think it took into account is if we go back to what we talked about before of like end user states, I think people are most worried about the security line and how long that's going to take. That is the biggest variable. Is the distance from the gates to from the TSA to the gate is the same. And for the most part, traffic to the airport, you're very aware of that because you do a lot of that driving. So you know if it's like a 7 a.m leave time, there's going to be traffic. If it's a four o'clock, it's going to be traffic. The variable that Clear removes is the security time. So they built this whole app that's supposed to make you feel more comfortable leaving at a certain time that actually doesn't give you any benefit because you're skipping the thing that for you was the only unknown that yeah that was a stress yeah that's so funny so i have this app that serves no purpose also because i tried to use it and it couldn't figure out where pdx was and didn't count it as an airport so i was like that's that's good that's very good interesting yeah (laughs) you were like almost sold me i was like i'm a clear member i don't use this app this sounds amazing and then yeah this was a definitely the not the ending of the story that i thought yeah because it doesn't you don't need it (laughs) because you've already removed the the variable that you didn't know so yeah you definitely took me on an emotional (laughs) roller coaster i was like how did i miss this oh my god i should have this to like wow it's i'm so happy if you have clear you don't need the app well alex this was awesome Thank you for sharing about you, about your career, your lessons. It was so fun having you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a great chat. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.